Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Thanks for joining me today on another episode of Private Club Radio. I'm very excited for today's guest, Richard Copland, partner at Copland and Keebler, an executive search firm for private clubs. He has some amazing insights to offer us on today's show. During his interview, he talks about the key strategies that successful clubs engage in. Richard has recognized five key points that all successful clubs utilize, and he outlines them for us on today's show. He also has some predictions for what he envisions as the club of the future. And Richard gives us a bold prediction for millennials. How will they utilize the club of the future? His interview is literally packed with amazing insights. Now, before we dive into that interview, I have some news and announcements for you. The 2016 National Club Conference will be held in Chicago this year from May 19th to the 21st. This conference is put on by the National Club Association and features sessions including industry outlooks, best practices for member and club communications, technology trends, financial insights, fitness and wellness trends, legislative and regulatory roundtables, and legal issues confronting private clubs. For more information, please visit nationalclub.org. And from the Professional Club Marketing Association, two pieces of news. The PCMA is now offering all their members leadership and professional development coaching as part of their annual membership. This resource is offered on a quarterly basis, and their next session will be held on Tuesday, February 9th. Contact info at askpcma.org for more information or visit askpcma.org forward slash join to get started today. And the PCMA is looking forward to seeing you at the CMAA Business Expo on February 23rd and 24th in San Diego. They'll be in booth number 314, so be sure to stop by and say hello. I'll be close by in booth 128, so you can stop by and see me there as well. If your organization has news or announcements that you'd like to be heard on Private Club Radio, The process is very simple. Just go to privateclubradio.com, go to the contact form, and you can fill in the relevant details there. Okay, so let's bring on today's featured guest. I'm very happy to welcome Richard Copland to the show today. Richard presently serves as partner of Copland and Keebler, the leading recruiting firm assisting clubs with their executive level positions for general managers, COOs, golf professionals, superintendents, executive chefs, assistant GMs and clubhouse managers for the private club, resort, and developer-owned properties. Additionally, he has served on the executive committee for nine PGA and senior PGA Tour events. Richard graduated from the University of Wisconsin at Eau Claire and started his career in the golf business by managing private clubs in Wisconsin and Minnesota. He continued his 35-year career as general manager and vice president of operations. Richard has also opened five golf courses and four clubhouses, working closely with the architects and construction firms. And Mr. Copland has been featured speaker for the past 14 years at the Club Manager Association of America's annual conference, and he's also conducted seminars on club governance worldwide. Richard, welcome to Private Club Radio. Well, Gabe, thank you so much, and thank you for that very generous introduction. I'm, I'm pleased to be on uh, Private Club Radio. All right, Richard. Well, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about Copland and Keebler. 
Well, our firm has uh, been in business for uh, just over 20 years now. We're actually celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. And I started the firm uh, 20 years ago after having a 26-year career in managing private clubs uh, uh, throughout the United States. And as the company has grown, we have taken on a partner. My partner is Kurt Keebler, who is in Jupiter, Florida. And the company has continued to grow. I'm, my office is in Scottsdale, Arizona. But as as the company uh, grew organically, I guess you could say, we've, we've added another office in Florida. We have an office in Atlanta, an office in Cleveland, an office in Denver, an office in Washington, D.C., so we've we've really expanded with some very talented, I think, uh, other executives, search executives in our firm, and and everybody stays very busy, which is good. And we we certainly have have enjoyed uh, watching the uh, the the growth of the private club industry. Some might say that uh, it's not been growing, but we we see some real positive things, and and our company is growing along with that. So we're we're very pleased to be uh, to working with such great clubs and and such wonderful candidates. Oh, that's excellent. So where are you finding some of the, some of these qualified candidates that you're placing in these clubs? Are you just running ads in local newspapers or do you have your own directory of folks you keep track of through the years? Well, I would say, Gabe, that the, the majority of the candidates that uh, we place are typically people that we know about. Uh, Kurt and I have been in the private club world for, I guess, combined uh, 70 some years and Kurt served as a national director of CMAA and, and I've certainly, uh, through the, the ability to speak to CMAA chapters around the country and also at the conference the last 14 years have come to know a number of, of very good qualified managers. So I would say that our talent pool consists primarily of the people that we know. Now, there are some that we don't know, some managers who are very uh, capable who we don't know, and we we do meet them, and sometimes they'll answer our our posting on our website. But generally, the people that we place are candidates that we're aware of and that we actually have to recruit. They're, They're typically working successfully in a private club environment somewhere and may not even know that one of our opportunities exists. So we have to call them and outline to them why we think this might be a good fit in their career track. So it's really a matter of cultivating those relationships. And we've always said that our, our company has been built on, on relationships. And that really, I think, is, is why we've been successful in finding the, the talent that we have in the, in the industry. How many candidates are you guys placing each year? We typically, Gabe, will work with uh, anywhere from 65 to 80 clients in a given year. And my sense is last year we were right around uh, 80, 80 clients. This year we may be closer to 90. We've, we've continued, the business has continued to expand. So uh, that means that there are typically 80 to 90 positions available through our firm. And most of those positions, I would say, are club general manager, chief executive positions. However, we do a significant number of uh, chef searches now. Lisa Carroll in our Atlanta office does a great job with our executive chef searches. We continue to do more and more of those searches. We also do golf course um, uh, agronomy searches for superintendents. Armin Suni in our Denver office really heads up that division for us, and we do a number of those. And we also do quite a few director of golf assignments as well. So uh, those are the four primary searches that we do. 
and that that keeps us very active and very busy and and uh, keeps everybody uh, fully engaged throughout the year. Oh, I bet it does. So what does it take for a candidate to impress Mr. Richard Copland? Well, Gabe, that's a good question. And obviously every candidate is a little different, but we look for I would say three primary qualities in any of our candidates. Number one, obviously, integrity. Has this person demonstrated integrity in their professional and personal lives? And number two, competence. What have they done? What have they really accomplished? What does their resume tell us they've done? And, and what can we discover in talking with them in terms of, of what they have not not just uh, done in terms of putting time in, but what have they really accomplished? How have they grown in their in their various assignments? And then finally, is this someone who is is truly engaged and passionate about this business? Do they really enjoy being in this business? And that becomes evident fairly quickly in, in the interview process if this is someone who is really committed to this because they love it, or do they do it because it's a way to collect a paycheck? So we're we're looking for those three things primarily when we when we start to to qualify candidates for the various positions that we have. Excellent. So you're right on the pulse of the private club industry. If someone was looking to break into the industry or even make a lateral move, where do you see the biggest potential or need? Well, I think that today uh, we are counseling candidates that the skill set that most boards are looking for in a, in a private club environment, the, the one skill set that continues to surface at the top, I think, is the ability to run the business, the the ability to understand the finances of the business, to, to know how to read the balance sheet, to know how to read uh, the P&L statement, and to bring uh, a real sense of confidence to that board that the candidate knows how to embrace everything that, that needs to be embraced regarding understanding the business, operating the business, and, and doing so in a very efficient manner. So that's that has become, I think, uh, uh, even more important than what, what we used to look at uh, as the number one skill set was probably visible engagement, which is still a close second. But I'd say number one right now, it's someone that, that can understand how to run the business and the board will have confidence in their ability to do so. That, that to me, is, is absolutely critical today, and apparently it is to most boards as well. It's got to be tough to find somebody that has both those skill sets that's a people person, but that can also crunch the numbers, right? Well, that is really the uh, the balance. And sometimes we see someone who's very strong in the financial arena, but yet they're lacking a little bit on the on the what we call the bedside manner, the 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 ability to really engage with with staff, with employees, and with uh, the members. Uh, so oftentimes candidates are are stronger in one or the, or the other. But the the perfect candidate is is someone who gets the balance of that, who really can do both. And I think more and more people are understanding that's important and. And so if they don't have the financial skills, they're attending seminars and programs to to uh, to better themselves in that arena. And if they don't get the people side of the business, they're often engaging a, a coach of some type to help them in, in, uh, in finessing some of their people skills. Now, Richard, you mentioned earlier that you're celebrating 20 years at Copland and Keebler. What are some of the changes you've seen take place in the industry during that time? Well, I think uh, some of what I've already talked about, the fact that the boards are looking now at uh, a general manager, chief executive, uh, who really understands how to how to uh, function in a business environment, 
in in the days when I started managing clubs, we never really were too concerned about the finances. It was almost like throwing money in the shoebox at the end of the year and say, okay, let's just divide this up and, and whatever. That's not the case anymore today. Today, you need some pretty sophisticated uh, tools to, to effectively run your business. So I think that's one of the major changes that we've seen. The other change that we've seen that we really like is that more and more boards are understanding that they truly need a a professionally educated general manager to run their business. And uh, it's no longer just my favorite bartender can probably do this job, so let's just promote Johnny up to that role. Uh, that's no longer the model. The model today is a, is a very sophisticated manager who usually has a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree, or if not, they've certainly then educated themselves through the Club Managers Association of America and, and have uh, gained their CCM designation, which is important today and being more and more recognized by boards is an important hallmark in our industry. So certainly, uh, if, if somebody has not received a degree, they're, they're self-educating in the industry. So those are two very strong trends that we're seeing, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. I think it'll continue to be emphasized. Are there any areas of the country that are really starving for talent that if I was going to, um, you know, if I wanted to be a GM or break into the industry, that would be a good place to, to get my feet wet? No, I think it's it's the talent needs are uh, dispersed pretty evenly around the country. Now, if you look uh, demographically at where the clubs are and, and where the, the population centers are for most private clubs, obviously Florida is a is a huge market, uh, but so and so is California, um, and then of course the new, the uh, East Coast corridor. Uh, the clubs are very highly concentrated up in the Philadelphia up through New York area. So that certainly is a concentration of clubs. So there's no real specific geographic area that that I could say there there's a need here more than any other need in the country. I, I would say it's pretty evenly dispersed around the country. Okay, fair enough. In your estimation, Richard, what are some of the key strategies that successful private clubs engage in? Well, we we uh, do some seminars on that very topic, Gabe. And as a matter of fact, yesterday morning I was with a club. Uh, here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and, and uh, took them through a, a morning session on on really uh, planning and key strategies that they can engage in to be successful. And when we travel around the country, we typically see three or four or five strategies that successful clubs engage in, and it's very consistent. Every time we work with a club board and we say, you know, this club board that understands the governance model and and they really are effective, uh, it's because they've gotten their organizational health right. Well, how do you get the organizational health right in a, in a private club? And we typically say there's there's really five ways of doing that. The first is to defining everybody's role, make, making sure that everybody knows, and it's on paper, it's memorialized, what are the functions of the board? What, what does the board really do? And maybe it's as few as four or five. It might be as many as a dozen. It doesn't matter as long as they're written down. What are their roles? What are the roles of the committee members as well? Those two things are quite important. The second thing we talk about are action plans. How do you, in fact, uh, get the process uh, done in the club? And how does that happen so that the board doesn't have to get involved in, in minutiae? How can they stay focused on governance issues and and uh, look at things with, with the big picture in mind? And the action plans allow a board to do that. That's basically a process whereby they go through certain steps to if something is brought to them from a committee, there's a there's a thoughtful process that they go through in terms of 
of uh, adapting a recommendation from a committee or not. And that typically is done at the staff and committee level, not at the board level, when you get into the, the real specific issues in the club. Uh, the third thing we see in clubs that are uh, successful is that they've defined their mission statement. We call it the magic of the mission statement, the, the mission statement and the supporting goals. They've clearly thought through who they are, what their function is. They, they know what their brand is in the marketplace. And that uh, that mission statement is, is prevalent in the club. It's sometimes uh, on the on the front door of the club, we were just at a club in Florida that actually has their mission statement on a bronze plaque at the very front entrance of the club, which was wow. very impressive. Uh, so oftentimes it's it's on the employee business cards, it's on member statements, but that mission statement is endorsed and supported, and and that really forms the framework from which the other decisions are all made. But the fourth thing we see in in really successful clubs who understand uh, organizational health is that they've set the standards. They've, they've set the standards, the norms and expectations for what they want their board to do and what they want their employees to do. And and obviously the board is, is key in, in setting the mores and the culture of a club. But again, if they've not memorialized this in writing and set those standards down, then it, it sometimes it happens by osmosis and it's better to have it happen uh, with an actively engaged board. And the final thing that we see that happens in really successful clubs is that there's a very serious new board member orientation process. Uh, club general managers who are successful really understand that's a key and critical component to their success. Uh, when there are new board members who come onto the board, they need to understand their role. They need to understand uh, who the uh, employees are. They need to understand uh, what the physical assets are. So we suggest a half-day process where the board members are really toured through facilities. They meet all the key managers and employees, and they're given a very thorough orientation. And quite frankly, that should filter on down to the committees as well. Now, if those things are done, if those five uh, standards are in place, you typically see clubs that, that are very healthy organizationally. And if that's the case, then everything else flows from that. So those would be the five things I would say that, that we see consistently in, in very successful clubs. That's great information for our listeners. Now, I read on your website that you recently participated in the McGladry Trends Program. Can you tell folks a little bit about that program and some of the insights you gained? Well, and that's that's actually the uh, McGladry's now RSM, I believe. Uh, they've they've transitioned into RSM, um, and we've had a very good relationship with RSM and McGladry for a number of years, and uh, particularly with Phil Newman, who uh, we we love to exchange ideas with and talk about trends in the industry, and and so certainly I think they've been instrumental in in capturing a lot of the data that's out there today in in clubs that are are uh, showing some uh, uh, some real innovative uh, uh, thinking and in, in how they're they're uh, managing and leading their clubs both from the board level and from the management level. Um, now, I mean, Gabe, I could probably spend two hours on trends. So I don't know that I, in fairness to RSM McClattery, could could summarize all of that in, in just a, a half hour call. But uh, I think again, anybody visiting their website would certainly certainly see how engaged they are and, and some of the great work they've, they've done in the in the past and continue to do. It did seem like you th- you think there's been a, a trend that um, uh, revenues at clubs are rising a little bit, though? Uh, definitely so. We're, we're As we evaluate clubs around the country, and 
And Kurt and I and the others in our company probably visit a little over 200 clubs a year. Um, uh, we, we do not only the executive search work, but Jack Sullivan, who heads our strategic planning division, uh, does a lot of strategic work around the country. And as we listen to the feedback and we have a weekly call with all of our team members, we're continually gauging what is happening around the country in clubs and the, the, the success stories that are being written uh, are, are really interesting to listen to because very often what we hear now is that the, the trend line is going up in terms of participation levels at clubs, in terms of uh, food and beverage revenues, in terms of, uh, of golf shop sales and participation levels in, in every area. So that, that's really encouraging. And we continue to see that in, in clubs. And, and contrary to what some of the doom and gloom people say, we, we see a very bright future in the private club world. And, and the clubs that have, uh, that have uh, embraced the fact that it's a new world and that they've, they've got, they have to operate a little more efficiently and, and really engage their membership and show a value proposition to the memberships, those are the clubs that are being very successful today. And, and many clubs tell us they're, they're absolutely seeing increased activity levels in every area of the club, which is very encouraging. That's the perfect segue to my next question. So let's talk about the club of the future. What does that club look like to you? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Gabe, because uh, I think it was about five or six years ago I was actually invited to speak at a at a European uh, club managers conference, and I, the, the conference was in Stockholm, and I presented a program called the Club of the Future. Now, that was five or six years ago, and I made a few predictions. So, yeah, did you I, get it right? <laughs> well, I, I think a few of them are trending the way I thought they might. So, but let me tell you what I talked about then, and I think it's still true today. One of the things I talked about was the fact that the biggest challenge for private clubs today is the demand on members' time, and that golf would become a, a truncated uh, game in terms of the amount of time. And you would see some six-hole golf courses, six, six, and six, rather than two nine-hole courses. You'd see golf courses uh, reconfiguring into six-hole alignments. And shortly after I presented that concept, I don't know that uh, that I would be bold enough to say that Jack Nicholas embraced my concept, but I'd heard that Jack was now designing his first golf course with configurations of six, six, and six. Oh, that's amazing. And he said that, you know, who said that golf has to be 18 holes? Well, if you think about it, I think a lot of people would go out and play six holes of golf, either before or after work or, or maybe with their son or daughter. And that's a nice, uh, you know, hour or so on the golf course. And, and that's a great way to, to engage in the game. And I do think that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing, uh, I've heard of some golf pros even putting together three-hole events uh, for juniors and, and beginner golfers and people who are just getting introduced to the game. So I think anything we can do, to to make the the uh, sport less cumbersome in terms of, of uh, time engagement is is a positive, and that was one of the future trends I said that that we would see. I also talked about what I called affinity clubs, and by that I I I meant that there would be clubs within the club. If if clubs were to retain their members, it wasn't just about golf anymore, and. We actually see this happening now in a number of clubs. Uh, Kurt and I were at a club, I believe, in the Carolinas a few months ago, and it was a Saturday morning when there were a group of uh, bicycle uh, enthusiasts who were going for a morning uh, 15 or 20-mile ride, and they gathered at the club. Well, when I managed clubs, we didn't really encourage small groups at the club. They had to have a minimum of 50 or 60 people to 
open up the club for any activity. Today, the opposite is happening, and that's something that I said would eventually occur, and I think it is. Uh, clubs are encouraging the smaller affinity groups. They want to be the real uh, uh, gathering place of choice, whether it's uh, a bicycle group, whether it's a, a group to discuss books, whether it's a, a group that uh, is is there for computer classes, whatever it is, the club becomes the hub and center of people's social activities and and doesn't matter what those are. It doesn't have to be golf. So, again, we're seeing a trend that I thought five, six years ago would emerge. I think it is that that people are using their clubs in, in a variety of different ways and creative ways to be, to truly be that that home away from home. Absolutely, so, yeah. Uh, I think you completely nailed it. It sounds like. Well, well, thank you. I uh, don't just dumb luck, I guess, but it was something that I thought had to change, and I think it has changed, and I think. I think people are embracing that concept now, and we see it in a lot of clubs as we travel around the country. Well, that's perfect. And so what would actually be your big, bold prediction for 2016 and beyond then? Well, uh, if I could have a big, bold prediction, uh, it would be that the millennials will be embracing golf in a way that we never thought they would. I think that millennials and the, the I guess it's the, is it the generation Y's coming after or X's or Z's or whatever it is, whatever <laughs> the younger people are today, people that we thought would not have interest, who who might be more interested in skateboarding than golfing. I really think you're going to see people coming back to this concept of of a club as community and a place where they want to gather with people who have like interests. And I think you'll see a resurgence. In, in the younger generations. I think everything has a cycle, and I think, quite frankly, golf is, is uh, in a great position right now, and I think we're going to benefit from a renewed interest, uh, particularly in the part of the younger people. I think who, you're absolutely uh, right. Who, who, who will figure out a way to make the time element work and who will value those associations they can only get through a private club environment. And I think you'll see more and more of that as these young executives start their, their roles and realize the value of the social networking and the recreation that can only be afforded in a private club environment. I think you're absolutely right. I think everybody gets scared of the next generation down the pipeline. And if they're going to give up the game or give up the, you know, particular club lifestyle or whatever the case may be. But I think you're right. I think it's all about cycles for sure. Um, so just keeping on sort of the, the idea of, uh, predictions, what do you believe is the evolution of club governance? Well, I think, uh, a couple of things. I think that we're seeing uh, more and more clubs having a, uh, club president that's serving more than one year that, that is hopefully serving a couple of years so that there's some continuity and philosophy and thinking. And if that doesn't occur, then at least there's some sequence of, uh, of going through the chairs, that uh, the the treasurer perhaps becomes vice president, who then becomes president the following year, and then stays on the board one year as ex officio, so that there is some some consistency in in philosophy and thinking throughout their the tenure of that board member. So that's one thing we're seeing. I think perhaps some some longer terms for president, in terms of uh, two years rather than one year, and the other I think real important governance. Uh, trend is that boards are really embracing the concept of a strong chief executive. I think CMAA now is is uh, titling this the general manager CE chief executive concept, and 
it resonates, I believe, with board members today because that's how they typically run their companies, and that's how they've been successful. So I think, again, getting away from just a club manager concept, well, this is just that club manager who runs food and beverage. No, this is the chief executive who runs a multi-million dollar business. And I think that philosophy is is becoming stronger and stronger among most of the board members that we work with and talk to. And, and that's why so many of them are saying, bring us that chief executive, bring us that person that has their CCM designation, because we recognize that we need that talent. We need the talent more than ever in, in the challenging economic times that we're in. We need the talent to run our business. So you mentioned the CMAA, and, and I think I read that you've spoken at the CMAA Expo and World Conference for 14 years running. Are you speaking again this year in San Diego? We are. We're doing a program this year that's very exciting, and it's the uh, second year we've done this. And uh, typically we'll, we'll sell out, as it did last year, I'm sure. But it's a pre-conference workshop where we invite uh, the general manager, chief executive, and their club president to attend. And we bring in speakers from outside of the club industry. They're not necessarily people in the club environment. They are people who are successful authors and, and talented business people who will come in and address uh, this, the, the managers and their presidents on uh, basically issues that are occurring in, in any aspect of business, but leadership issues, management issues, uh, employment issues, whatever they may be but a wide range of topics, and we spend the entire day in this environment. And then Kurt and I follow that with a two-hour session on, on governance and best practices that we see uh, around the country. So that's a very exciting piece, I think, that we've, we've had great success with now in the last year or so, and we anticipate this year to, to sell that program out again. Yeah, how do folks sign up for that? Well, they, they simply have to go to the CMA website. The conference registration is now open. And I think that program will sell out very soon. We, we take a limited number of people because we want to make sure everybody has a chance to actively participate. So all, all they need to do is go through the CMA website, and, and conference registration is, is open right now. Excellent. So we're going to wrap things up here. This is the question I, I ask all my guests on the show. And you mentioned you've been to uh, 200 clubs just this past year. If I or anyone listening to this show uh, was putting together a bucket list, what are the clubs that I have to visit uh, that I need to put on that list? Well, I'm, I'm going to share with you uh, one of my uh, uh, clubs that I really enjoy. And I, that you put me on the spot a little bit, Gabe, because we have to be a little bit nonpartisan in dealing with all of the clubs around the country. And so if I single out one or two clubs and say, this is my favorite, then I've got, uh, you know, 4,588 other uh, club general managers maybe have sat with me that didn't mention their club. So, uh, but, but let me, so let me frame it this way. If, if I were to go and play golf tomorrow, where would I go and enjoy myself? I think the most, or, or one of the places I really truly enjoy, and I've not been there in a few years, I'd love to go back and hopefully we'll do so sometime soon. I love the uh, country club at Castle Pines course in uh, just uh, south of Denver, Colorado. It's a Jack Nicholas design course, but I love it because of the scenery. You tee off looking at downtown Denver in the distance, and then you wind down through the uh, through the wonderful uh, uh, wooded fairways and, and the pines, and uh, the holes are incredible. And what's I, what I like is it's playable. I'm an 18 handicap, maybe uh, you know, pushing up to, to 20 plus, but I can play the course. It's it's friendly to play. It's, it's uh, enjoyable to play, 
and the scenery is spectacular. And so it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful club, and and I I love that uh, that golf course. So uh, there's so many, but that is one that sure. if you could ask me where I would go tomorrow, that would probably be the one. Oh, I'm going to put that on my list, and I'm, I'm sorry if we're putting you on the spot, but we do do that to all our guests. So No, no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so if, uh, if, if there's a club that wants to work with your firm or candidates who want to uh, be included in your pool, how do they work with you? How do, how do they get in touch with you? It's very simple. Our website uh, is uh, www.coplinandkeebler.com, and uh, Coplin is K-O-P-P-L-I-N. The word and, Keebler, is K-U-E-B-L-E-R.com, coplinkeebler.com, and you will see uh, about everything you need to see about our firm. We have no passcodes that, uh, that you need to use. Everything is open. You can look at the clubs we're working with right now, the opportunities that are available, uh, many of the articles we've written and some of the seminars uh, that we teach, and all of that is available on our website. And again, you can easily email us through the website, but uh, you don't need a passcode. We everything we do, we publish, we we provide to the CMAA world at, at no charge. So it's, it's all there and available. There's a lot of great information on that site, so I definitely encourage you to check it out. They have a great newsletter uh, that, that is put out quarterly, I believe. Yes, we put out a quarterly report, the Copland and Keebler report, and uh, the news that you can use. And we, we find it uh, well-received, and we'll continue to do that. There's a ton of great information. So once again, check out com, and we'll put that in the show notes for this episode as well, so you can uh, click over to it. Well, Richard, thank you so much for being on Private Club Radio with me today. It was really a pleasure um, learning from from you, and and we hope to do it again sometime soon. Well, Gabe, I want to thank you. I'm excited about this concept of Private Club Radio, and I'm very pleased to have been interviewed and and wish you all the best. It's uh, certainly something we've needed, and I I, uh, am excited about the future for you. Thank you, Richard. That's very kind. Thank you, Gabe. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Private Club Radio. On the next episode, we are going to be speaking to Dan Schmitz. He is the owner of KE Camps. What KE Camps does is they come into your club, they run an incredible summer camp, and all you need to do is sit back and relax and let your members enjoy. I hope you'll join us next time on Private Club Radio. And until then, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shake Creative, the premier marketing and design firm helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more.